Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Time to get out of the cold and hit Orlando for Dev Intersection? What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. March 25th to 28th at the Swan Hotel in Orlando for another great Dev Intersection. All your favorites are going to be there, including Scott Guthrie and Scott Hanselman. Ah, the greater and lesser Scott. Yes. And if sequel is your thing, Paul Randall and Kim Tripp are, as usual, running an awesome set of sequel sessions. And this year at Dev Intersection, we have a special emphasis on new artificial intelligence technologies, including deep learning, cognitive services, and more. And of course, all the latest web tech, Angular, C Sharp, Visual Studio, all your favorites. So go to devint.netrocks.com right now and register. Sign up for a workshop as well, and you'll get some cool hardware. We'll see you there. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, we're here doing some shows in the middle of our sprint at NDC London, which uh, we're back from. So a little time shifting, but no big deal. I'm in the studio. Richard's at home in his studio. And uh, how are you doing, buddy? I am super excited because Falcon 9 uh, Heavy did their first static fire test. And just for context, that's a rocket. Is big rockets. Is big, big, big rockets. Big, powerful rocket. And, you know, they. it took a long time. They did a lot of testing. The problem was uh, when they fuel that rocket, it actually shrinks almost a foot. Wow. And so now they have three of them side by side. They were all shrinking at different rates and then hold down mounts had to be able to move with them. Like it's, it's a complicated problem. It just goes to show you, you can be big, big, big and made of steel and still experience shrinkage. There you go. No question. So, I mean, I know we're recording this in the, towards the end of January after static fire test, but before the date of launch is announced, but I'm pretty much committed to this idea that if there is any way. I am flying down to Florida to see that thing fly. Wow. I got to see it in person. That'd be fun. I don't know that it's going to make it. And then, and then, you know, that's a hell of a firework if it doesn't make it. Maybe but I'll join you. It'll be it's something, fun. man. Well, as soon as we have a date, I'm going to get viewer tickets and grab an airfare and go. Um, because it's something to see. You know, I miss the geek out stuff. We're going to do another one. We just decided in March. And yep. you, because you've been busy with the, the history of .NET and all that stuff. Been working on the book. But I got to tell you something. I've got three better know frameworks for geek outs ready Ooh, to go. And I backed up. I mean, yeah. yeah, I've been chomping at the bit because I just want to share them. But, well, uh, I think I'll try. I see if we can maintain a cadence of maybe every other month. And yeah. uh, so, that, you know, keep the people cared for and keep my, my chop sharp because I'm still collecting all the notes. So yeah, it's yeah. just the stack's only getting deeper. And uh, yeah, so maybe the, the March show will be about Falcon Heavy. Who knows? Who we'll knows? Figure it out. That'd be fun. Awesome. All right. Well, let's roll the crazy music for Better Know a Framework. <laughs> man what do you got well uh this is a very cool tool set that i saw out of necessity hmm. uh as you know dotnet rocks is powered by dn simple yes dnsimple.com is the best place to register domains and have your dns settings and all of those things you can even buy certificates i think um and it's just well run it's simple it's easy you can actually 
I, I have set up MX Records, famously, I've said this before, I've set up MX Records while standing in the security line on my phone Yep. with Deanne Simple's web interface. It's so good. Anyway, so we have uh, a bunch of records in our DNS uh, repository, and there comes a time when we're going to be upgrading a virtual machine that has a few critical pieces of infrastructure on it. And there's, I don't know, handful, dozen websites that all have names pointing to that uh, Azure VM. Right. So rather than try to figure out how to, um, you know, restore the IP address in Azure, which is one approach, I just decided to update all of the IP address records that point to it. And so they have an API. And I'm like, um, okay, well, OAuth and all this stuff and, you know, stuff that I really didn't want to deal with. I went to see if there's a wrapper library for DN Simple, and there is. It's called DN Simple dash C Sharp. And uh, it's a GitHub. And basically, it's a wrapper around it. And it's very, very simple. It uses Expando objects, so it's not strongly typed. The, the thing about Expando objects is you have to know what the properties are. There's right. no reflection. There's no nothing. You either get them right or get them wrong. So I had to go to the API itself. And the API itself has some, in the documentation, has some differences. For example, a type record is called record underscore type. And the only way I found that was by um, using the API and going down into the tool and just getting the JSON and looking at the JSON and saying, ah, well, that's the name of it. So that was a little bit of a pain. But if you know what the fields are on the objects that it contains by looking at the API, you'll be fine. I would like to see some examples, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, some better examples. That's it, man. That's what I got. That's cool, man. I like it. Yeah. That's very neat. And uh, yeah, of course, we are both, DN Symbol has been a uh, guest on the show, Tony yep. or Anthony. Yep. Uh, they've been a sponsor at times, but we use their products because they rock. They totally rock. They absolutely do. Yep. Not like Slow Patty. Or yeah. <laughs> Slowpatty.com. I forgot about that, Slow Patty. Don't ever go there. Bad, 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 bad. Bad, bad, All right, Richard, who's talking to us? Grab your comment off of show 1084, January of 2015. The new SharePoint developer with Sahil Malik. Yeah. The last time he was on the show, three years ago. That is way too long. Yep. And, of course, we were talking about the shift of SharePoint over to the cloud and the impact that had and, you know, building software for it. And uh, Brad Collins, and again, wrote this comment three years ago, so it's a little old. I uh, said, I continue to be simultaneously thrilled and creeped out by the wonders of technology. <laughs> Ma uh, Malik's example was pretty innocuous. Your friend Richard is interested in .NET, just as you are. Here are some things he's been reading that you might be interested in, right? Just sharing information like that, this whole social media thing. Okay. And my mind immediately raced to, your friend Richard has ED too. And he's going to leave defining ED as an exercise for the reader. <laughs> Here are some treatments he's been looking at that you might be interested in. What if Richard doesn't want you to know he has ED? What if you don't want to know that Richard has ED? <laughs> I clearly <laughs> and don't. Of course, what if you don't want him to know you have ED? Because it stands to reason that if you now know that Richard has ED, then he probably knows that you know. <laughs> and I think the psychological technical term that we're all feeling right now is Ew. ew. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then in parentheses says, all Richards appearing in this example are fictitious. Any resemblance to real Richards living, dead, or hosting any podcast, <laughs> hypothetical or actual, is purely coincidental. That's awesome. <laughs> Dude, got to send him a mug. Like, that done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because there is a conversation that continues on from there, which is this: the, when you get past the funny into this whole, well, I would presume there'd be some privacy mm. around this, that you could select what you would do. And he went on to say, you know, you'd think there'd be sensible defaults, but Facebook has clearly demonstrated that this is not true. That the default is public and most people never get past the defaults. Yeah. So now... The fictitious Richard's ED is out in the world. How about that? Yeah. So, uh, and I think it's a super salient point as we dive into this about the accepting the ability of people to actually manage their privacy and that there is a, I think, a moral responsibility to any application provider uh, or any developer building this stuff to sort of think through what are the defaults? Because that's what's actually going to happen. And how much trouble or pain is that going to cause along the way? I actually, um, when I post something that I only want friends to see on Facebook or in email or anything like that, I, I specifically say, right, as the, as the first line, this is for friends only, please don't share. Right. You know, that's just yep. something you have to do in today's world well yeah, that doesn't guarantee your results no and, and, and i and i've actually modified my defaults to to do more restrictions like there's things you can do i just think it's beyond the average person so as yeah. a developer we just have to presume that the defaults are what's going to happen so you better you know have a clear conscience on what those defaults are don't yep. and, and you know don't try and offset the blame well they didn't they didn't read the fine print so it's their fault yeah, not good enough so brad uh thanks for the hilarious as well as insightful uh, comment a dotnet rocks mug is on its way to you and if you'd like a dotnet rocks mug write a comment on the website at dotnet rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to facebook and google plus and if you comment there and we read it on the show we'll send you a mug and definitely follow us on twitter he's at rich campbell i'm at carl franklin send us a tweet we retweet them with a comment this person has ed <laughs> uh. <laughs> i don't think that's true <laughs> pretty sure we <laughs> Well, I can't comment then. <laughs> hey, I, will, I, will I haven't that, announced you yet. Yeah, you're, not, you're not in this yet. I will admit that since I turned 50, it seems like all of the ads on YouTube for me are now Cialis. I don't know why. It just happened. Huh. I think I shifted into a new demographic with the Magic Five. I'm surprised you admitted that, Richard. I'm, I'm just <laughs> saying, right? That's what's happened. Richard has ED. I did okay. not say that. I now said we know. Th I am now being advertised <laughs> to. All right. That laughing that you heard was the voice of Sahil Malik, of course, an old friend of the show and of ours. Uh, he is a cross-platform developer with interests in Office 365, SharePoint, Xamarin, TypeScript, Angular, and AI. As an MVP for 15 or so years, author of numerous books and video courses, and having work experience across five continents and 18 countries, you know, whatever. I'm just a developer, and I'm also at Sahil Malik. His words, not mine. Welcome, Sahil. Thank you. It's good to be on. We just decided to turn up the sick, sick, sick a little bit just because <laughs> of you. So, <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah, I think we still we still use occasionally the infrastructure ogres and developer fairies line. <laughs> it, it pops up every so right. often. Yeah. I remember that yeah. line wrecking us for some yeah. time trying to record in person. 
line is getting a little blurred. The, my MVP renewal is right up, so I'm guessing we'll keep this a little professional, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's going to so fix ED, it. Sure. ED is extremely distinguished, right? There you that's go. I mean. Yeah. Okay. Some of us Let's, are more distinguished than others. Yeah. Let's go with that. Or extremely okay. dysfunctional. One or the other. <laughs> Something like that. SharePoint. Who does that anymore? Isn't it called Office 365 now? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, let's be honest, you know, the the dev story for SharePoint, especially over the last five years, hasn't been a straight line coming oh, out yeah. of Microsoft. Yeah. And and that's putting in mildly. And I think a lot of people, you know, like when 2007 Farm Solutions came out and people went crazy, there were no dev tools. Uh, we put together some videos, Carl. It was a while ago. Yeah. And then 2010 came around, 2013 came around, and they introduced what they called as the app model, and uh, which maybe could have had legs, but honestly, it had a lot of holes. Mm. And then, um, you know, Microsoft is not going to call its own children bad. So, but the reality is those holes never got plugged. Hmm. And they ended up renaming the app model to the add-in model, but that's all they did. They really didn't change anything. So they introduced, you know, three things, uh, provider hosted, auto hosted, and SharePoint hosted. Auto hosted died before it ever made out of beta. SharePoint mm. hosted kind of sucks and provider hosted still has some value. Okay. Um, now the, my words, not Microsoft, you know, they will, but we can go deeper into why I feel SharePoint hosted apps are not great. But now sure. they've come out with this uh, SharePoint framework thing. And right when, you know, people have gotten completely jaded with their changing directions and all of that, I think today, um, I would say Office 365, not just SharePoint. You know, the dev story around Office 365 is finally pretty good. Um, what? Yeah. Good? Uh, you know, I'd say so. I'd venture to say so. Wow. And, yeah. And I would just, you know, say there are three things that you need to learn. Uh, number one is, yeah, you still need to learn provider-hosted apps. Uh, old technology, but it's still around and it'll, it has some uses. Mm -hmm. The second is Microsoft Graph. Uh, yeah. and the third thing is SharePoint framework, which is the new kid on the block. Okay. Well, might as well tell us what that is. We know what these other things are. We've talked about them. Yeah. So, um, SharePoint framework is Microsoft's way of giving you a dev story. So let me actually give me, let me give a little background first. You know, we all know SharePoint is big, heavy and clunky. That's what it's famous for, among other things. Um, so the dev story has been big, heavy and clunky. And, you know, user experience has been big, heavy and clunky. So one interesting thing that Microsoft has been doing is that they've introduced this concept called as modern sites and this thing called no script capability. Which I think should really be called no script disability because when you <laughs> enable it, yeah, you know, like when you enable it, it just turns a whole bunch of stuff off. You know, all the right. things that told you are awesome about SharePoint. I mean, let's be honest, there's so many products you've heard of, InfoPath, Performance Point Server. Uh, I mean, the list is quite long. BDC, IBF, you know, these, all these acronyms. Yeah. You know, where are they today? Uh, you know, they, I guess the Microsoft still supports them because they have to. But they're not pushing them anymore. No. The reality right. is SharePoint got really big, heavy, and clunky mm. and hard to manage, use, develop, et cetera. So they've, they've come up with these really lightweight sites called as modern sites. They don't nearly have as many features as the older sites, classic sites did. Currently, they support both classic and modern. But the emphasis is definitely towards moderns and this concept called teams and groups and so on and so forth. 
So um, when you want to dev for a modern site, SharePoint Framework is your only choice. Uh, hmm. And they're giving you now what they call as development experience on Rails. So, oh. which means that you have a good dev story, as but but they insist that you stick your train on these train tracks. You know, as much as fun it would be riding your train through the jungle, <laughs> you know, stick on the rail. Hmm. So they say, you know, it's okay to write a web part as long as it stays within here. It's okay to modify a certain well-defined areas on the page or put a button or an action on a list. You know, the common things that users want. Yeah. But if you want to completely customize SharePoint and make it on SharePoint, SharePoint, I've right. literally seen that in job descriptions. Um, you know, then don't do that in SharePoint. Do that as a separate site running on the side. Okay, yeah. So I think back to stuff like Hawaiian Airlines, which yes. was a SharePoint site that you did not know was a SharePoint site. That's just not possible anymore, or at least it, it, has to be done exactly. with the classic. Exactly, exactly. And it was never, uh, I think it was never a good platform for an internet-facing site. No, I thought it was a bad um, idea in the first place. It was It was almost an example exactly. of, okay, you can do this, just don't. Why should yeah. you? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's what SharePoint Framework is. It's the new dev story um, that, you know, gives you a dev experience on Rails. Um, but I think it's a little bit more profound than that. Uh, so, you know, I've been a, I've been a cross platform dev for some time now. Do you really want to admit that? <laughs> I, I, I absolutely, I think these days, if you're not a cross platform dev, you're doing yourself a disservice, really. Right. I mean, you have to, you have to be. Uh, I, I'm actually working on an app that lets you control your Tesla from your Mac. So, you know, say I'm, cause I was bored. Wow. What could go uh, wrong? Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is, it's too much work to pull out your phone and turn the climate on in your car. So, right. Uh, so, anyway, so so basically, the the cool thing about SharePoint Framework is that you write your code in TypeScript, and this uh, modern dev, you know, npm, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, that's what you use. npm, Gulp, Webpack. Yeah. These are the technologies you use. Right. Yeah, the regular web tools. Yeah, and and then you can use any framework you want. Uh, you know, Vue, React, and the su support for Angular is coming soon. Even though technically you can use it today, but I'm uh, I'm waiting for you know. The, there's a new project in Angular which will be part of Angular six called Angular Elements. Right. And and this is really I, I would say a shortcoming of Angular. I love Angular. It's got a lot lot of good things, but the one thing I don't like about Angular is that it likes to own your entire tool chain and there's too much ceremony in getting started. Yeah. And Angular Elements is a step towards fixing that and it'll make it workable with SharePoint Framework along with a whole bunch of other things. Like, hey, if you want to visit in WordPress, why not? Awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and I, I just like that it, bit by bit, uh, SharePoint has become just web development. Pretty much. Uh, it, you know, these days, it's like all the code we're writing, we're writing in, in JavaScript, TypeScript, you know, 90% of it. And, you know, this is actually one of the things that uh, I uh, I have a slightly different message on from the official messaging on SharePoint Framework. You know, all the official documentation, etc. you read and the tools you read are solving the problem for SharePoint. And there's nothing wrong with that because mm. that's their job. Uh, but I think, you know, why are we writing JavaScript these days? A lot of JavaScript. Is it because JavaScript is an awesome language? Hell no, <laughs> right? I mean, nobody likes it. Yeah. Was going to touch that once, Sahil? You can go there. <laughs> hey, well, I mean, JavaScript is like, you know, like it's 
you maybe really good at JavaScript and it's 5 p.m. and all your friends are at the bar and I don't care how good you are at JavaScript, you will make mistakes in it. Yeah. Sure. I mean, that's the nature of the language. And TypeScript makes it better. But one of the, the main reason we're writing JavaScript is because it runs everywhere. Right, right. You know, with the same app and, and a lot of big companies are using this technique. Uh, Electron, uh, you know, Xamarin, hybrid apps in Xamarin, or even just native hybrid apps or running in the browser, uh, you know, like companies like Slack right. or uh, Microsoft Teams. Somebody wrote a port of VS Code running in a browser and Angular.io. Yeah, yeah, this is really cool. So Angular.io now uses all their code demos. Uh, they launch in an online hosted version of VS Code. It runs right in your browser. That's really cool, actually. Well, in the end, it's JavaScript under the hood, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Are you talking about StackBlitz? Yes, that's that's what I'm talking about. Exactly. Okay. So, but it's cool that you know people can do all this with this platform, and a lot of applications we use. And I tell people, did you know this was a hybrid app? And we're like, no way. So, like iMessage on your iPhone is a hybrid app. Really? Yeah. And people are like, no. Yeah, because all those uh, you know sparkly things, as uh, smileys, etc., that show up the stickers. Yeah, that's the right word. Um, you know, they couldn't do that in native. You know, just download something out of the web and there's animated GIFs that show up in there. It has to be hybrid. Uh, mm. The App Store uh, on iOS is, is hybrid underneath the scenes. And they just wow. revised their website, uh, the, the iTunes preview, to make it look like the App Store. Um, mm. well, how could they do that? Slack. How is it that Slack looks exactly the same? on every platform you care about. Yeah. Do they have a bunch of really talented programmers with awesome communication skills? We know that's not going to happen. <laughs> so they, yeah. So they're reusing their code base. And I think it's a, it's a paradigm shift. You it's, know, it's really and, and a lot of people say that, uh, you know, native is faster. Uh, newsflash. No, no, it isn't. I mean, these days the, the browsers. JavaScript engines are so well optimized that yeah. depending on what you're doing, it's really a toss-up. It's, it's fast enough. And so he'll give us one minute here uh, for this very important message. When you're building an application, you need it to be fast, secure, and always evolving. With Kubernetes Engine on the Google Cloud Platform, developers can deploy fully managed, containerized apps quickly and easily. Google has been running production workloads in containers for over 15 years, and they build the best of what they learn into Kubernetes, the industry-leading open-source container orchestrator. Kubernetes Engine combines automatic scaling, updates, and reliable self-healing infrastructure with open-source flexibility to cut down development cycles and speed up time to market. Learn more about Kubernetes Engine online at g.co slash get gke. That's g.co slash get gke. And we're back. Richard Campbell here with my buddy, Carl Franklin. We're talking to our friend Sahil Malik about what SharePoint development looks like in 2018. And just this realization that yeah, JavaScript is fast enough now and, and that we have good compilers and good tools so that you can't tell the difference between a native app and this cross-plat hybrid app. So is Electron the uh, the weapon of choice these days, Sahil? It's one of the weapons of choice if you want to target desktop. Uh, but I would say the real weapon of choice is this modern dev, node-based development. Mm. And SharePoint Framework, I view it as a pizza box. As in, my real application is a pizza, and that's what I care about. 
And when I, you know, package my pizza in this pizza box called SPFX, I should write my code in a way that I should be able to package that pizza in a different pizza box like Xamarin or uh, Electron or anything else uh, or, or web for that matter. And, and, you know, that's the, I think that's where it's like discovering the anti-kryptonite for the lack of a better, you know, simile. Anti-kryptonite? <laughs> Yeah, like kryptonite will kill you, anti-kryptonite will make you Superman. I, I couldn't talk Hey, sometimes pizza will kill you, man. Enough of it will. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Enough of it will. Yeah. 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 yeah and, it, it's, and I think it's also interesting to just look at, you know, part of this has got to come out of Microsoft actually operating all these SharePoint sites uh, in Office 365 and finding out, you know, you just have to control how customizations work. You, you can't just let them do whatever they want to do. Yeah. Now that they're actually running it themselves, they know how crappy how it was it and is. they're fixing it. Yeah. And and one other cool thing about SharePoint Framework is that with SharePoint 2016 Service Pack 2 and 2019, they're bringing that same dev experience to on-premises as well. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we, see, we see this more and more that Microsoft builds it and tests it in the cloud and then takes yeah. a cut and pushes it down to on-prem. And the cloud will always remain ahead. Yeah, which is fine. But, you know, we don't have to use every feature. We don't have to be on the bleeding edge all the time. Yeah. I mean, the reality is that the technology is getting so complicated that you can't do everything on-premises. I, I don't know what the future is for people who are holding on to on-premises or dear life. I, it just doesn't, doesn't make logical sense anymore. Most of the time, it's a, a law or a policy that prevents them from going outside. Yeah, indeed. I mean, policies are always behind. Uh, that's the challenge. Yeah, uh, right. You know, they, they always catch things from behind. But, you know, people feel more secure because their data is on-premises with uh, a gigabyte internet is, what, 100 bucks a month now? Yeah, And those lines coming right into your data center and you think you're secure. No. Um, you know, the, the simile I give is, you know, this is like when people used to have uh, money under their mattress or gold buried in their backyard, and they thought that was the safest way. Uh, but today we don't do that. You know, today you put money in a bank. I, I, I don't have to like preach on this, but I think it makes so little sense uh, money-wise, features-wise to do things on-premises anymore. Yeah, it comes down to trust. I mean, this is what is uh, uh, what technology business is all about, is how much do we trust the technology? How much do we trust the development process, the tools, the institutions, the, the cloud yeah. providers? And um, that's what it really comes down to for everybody. Yeah, and actually, when you were reading Brad Collins' uh, comment, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there are, there are like two aspects that come to my mind. I, I don't want to turn this into a Billy Hollis show because <laughs> as I'm getting a little bit older, I completely but, empathize with everything he says. Yes. Uh, it makes sense. Uh, but the thing is, there are like two categories uh, that, that you have to be careful of. One are the Facebook kinds who have an incentive to make the user experience such that, you know, you overshare. Right. And and their defaults are bad and you reset the default and when you're not watching, they'll move it around and they'll reset it for you. All sorts of nonsense. I mean, Facebook drives me bananas. Sure. Um, and the other thing is uh, an overcomplicated product. Uh, frankly, SharePoint could fall into that. Or no. Office 365. Yeah, there's just too many knobs and switches and sometimes the defaults are not good and people That's go far... Talk. Yeah, like well, there's a product in SharePoint called Planner, a good product. Uh, but the problem is that whenever you create a new plan, 
it creates uh, a team behind the scenes, which is backed by an Azure AD group. And Azure AD group names have to be unique. Uh, so, and they could also be synced from your local AD. So if you are creating a plan for your finance department, logically you'd say finance, and now you have a clash of name. And for, for end users, it's like, oh, why, why, why can't I use this name? Uh, you know, I should be able to create a plan. Or for that matter, if you first create the plan and now the Azure AD sync fails, it's just things that sometimes are not very well thought through and they're rolled out sometimes. Right. So there, there's a lot of, lot of that too. What do you do? And I don't know if you still have any sites where uh, of SharePoint from an older version with that sort of unique SharePoint development model that's just not going to migrate to SharePoint online or to the, these contemporary models. Like, what's the solution there? Do you have to re-engineer it? A lot of solutions will not migrate, unfortunately. Um, you know, farm solutions, forget it. And reality is a lot of stuff on-premises was farm solutions. Uh, also, a lot of things like sandbox solutions are also frowned upon now. So that that is also where there was a lot of investment. That's not going to migrate over. Right. Provider-hosted apps that are quite different between on-premises and the cloud, they're probably also not going to migrate over. Mm -hmm. So if you have out-of-the-box collaboration, uh, I would say, yeah, that'll migrate. And there are tools that help you migrate those simple scenarios. So that is why actually customers these days are like, we don't want to build in SharePoint we want to build side by side with Office 365, right? And you know, dev in whatever platform you want, uh, and that is where the Microsoft Graph is is incredibly powerful, huge, huge. And you can shift an on-premises SharePoint site onto Azure. You're just moving it into VMs, right? So yeah, and you can you can have the sign-on experience with Azure AD, right? And you can have a side by side Office 365 tenancy because. Office 365 is the yellow and Azure AD is the white of right. an egg. So you have to go through. So you, you're going to get the white with the yellow. So, you know, you could have a second yoke, so to say, which is <laughs> SharePoint on-prem running in Azure. Right. And then they could coexist. I mean, that's totally a valid approach too. Yeah. You'll just be paying a lot more on licensing that way, but it's totally valid as a good transition. But it's probably still cheaper than what it's going to take to re-engineer everything. Mm. Oh, absolutely. And over time, solutions will die or be, will be re-engineered to take you know better use, make better use of the facilities that you have in the cloud. So that that's where it's going to go. Yeah. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time for me to ask Sahil, hey, what the heck is Azure ED? And does Richard know about it? <laughs> <laughs> Azure ED. <laughs> Oh, boy. Oh, boy. It's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. And check out their DevExtreme React grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM and state controllers. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing. You can check it out and test it for free on GitHub. But learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Tom Zaratka. Congratulations, Tom. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. 
golf clap for Tom. He just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends at DevExpress, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you got to sign up to win. All right, Sahil, you haven't done this in a while, but it's your turn. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology, what would you buy? Cool. Uh, you know, tech these days, I, I have to say, it's getting a little boring. There's nothing new out there that's exciting. So I thought very hard about this question. So since we all have a monitor fetish, uh, I, <laughs> I'll just describe what I might, what my dev setup has. And if I had 5,000, would I do it again? So let okay. me, let me take that approach on it. So I am using TVs as monitors. And the thing is, the the display panels in these newest TVs have gotten so good that I see no need to buy a monitor anymore, not to mention the TVs are cheaper. So what I have is I have three Samsung KS8500 curved 49-inch 4K TVs. And, wow. Uh, yeah, and it's a 49-inch uh, TV that I use as a monitor. You do need to turn on the brightness quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it supports HDMI 2, so it'll run 4K at 60 hertz. Right, which is uh, important. And I have three of these. And the thing is, these days with Thunderbolt 3, uh, you know, your my MacBook can power, I think, six of these or something absurd. Uh, you know, but yeah, well, like one Thunderbolt port can power two, and that's what I'm doing. And also, I have a Lenovo, uh, so you know, sometimes I switch between Mac to PC. It's a matter of switching two cables. And my entire, like we want for the keyboard, because I still use the wired keyboard and, and the, and the Thunderbolt three cable. And, you know, bam, I'm on a PC, I'm on a Mac in a matter of seconds. Right. So, so that's one thing I would spend money on. And I think you'll have money left out of the 5,000 if you bought three of those monitors. Yeah. Now, these are 49 inch screens. So they're about 44 inches across. So three side by side. It's like, dude, that's 10 feet of screen. <laughs> yes. Now, I have it, you know, one right in front of me, one right above it. So, I bought a VESA stand to, right. to basically mount it right on top. And one is on my left side where I put things like Twitter, email, Facebook, and that's on the left. So, instead of alt-tabbing, I just move my neck. I can't understand why you haven't bought a fourth one so that you're symmetrical. It's too much real estate. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's because there is such a thing as too much. I'm just they, trying to figure out if that's true. I, I have finally hit that limit. I think I don't want any more real estate. Uh, well, here's the real question. How big mm-hmm. is your mouse pad? Because that's a long way to go with a mouse pointer. Um, I don't have a mouse pad. I just use the desk and it works <laughs> fine. I mean, you know, you have frequent, like so if I'm going all the way from left to the right, I have to lift the mouse once. But right. the, the reality is, you know, mostly just use the keyboard to to move windows around and all that. So I just switched to a roller ball so I could go viz, 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 viz to get all <laughs> You could do that <laughs> or trackpad. But I, that hasn't been an issue. The issue that I'll say has been is that, you know, when I'm looking at the monitor, my peripheral vision isn't that good that the leftmost edge, I, I can't really see it hmm. on yeah. the other monitor. On the front monitor, I totally can. Uh, but that's okay. That's where passive information lives, you know, like mail, Twitter, yeah. and all of that. That goes over there. So this is, I, I think it's been a good investment and the picture quality is just 
phenomenal. Uh, and the you know, boost to productivity is just ridiculous. Uh, and, and you don't need to do that scaling, you know, just run everything in 4K 100%. And it looks amazing. Great for programming. Um, and the, of the money that's left, I would say um, I bought a standing desk and I bought a good standing desk. Uh, and I think that's been a good investment. And the third thing, uh, you know, you remember Zoomit on uh, on the on on Windows, like yeah. Mark or Sonovich? Yeah. So I used to miss Zoomit a lot on Mac, so I wrote it. You wrote Zoomit for the Mac. Yeah, I wrote Zoomit for Mac. So it's on the Mac App Store. It's called Zoomer. And, uh, you know, when the show comes out, I'll make it free for a week so everybody can get their hands on it. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, so that's another, uh, you know, nice thing to have is, you know, when presenting or sharing screen, it's really nice to be able to just zoom in and just draw on the screen rather than, you know, it's hard to convey your point otherwise. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, good gear, man. And I'm I'm with you. I don't know that I want screens quite that big, said the guy sitting in front of the 43-inch 4K. But, uh, but I think it's smart to think about the thing you look at every day. and that, Absolutely. And that more screen space does equate more productivity. Yes. But I wouldn't go more than 49 because... Then you start seeing pixelation, anything beyond that. Right. Uh, but at 49, it is crisp and crystal clear. This is so beautiful. Like, yeah. Yeah. At 4K. My 43 at 4K, I'm, I don't have to zoom it. It's 100%. And yeah, it's nice. But it, it, you're right. The text yeah. is a bit fine. I bet at 49, just a little bit extra, your fonts yeah. are a decent size for these aging eyes. Mm. But uh, so far, I have not that, needed oh, yeah. to scale stuff. That's, I'm glad you brought that up. So the other advantage of 49 inch is that now I can sit back and keep my posture correct. Right. And my neck doesn't bend down to look at the monitor all day. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You you really kind of sit back with a monitor that big. Yeah. And, and, and then you can also make the font size a little bit bigger, take your glasses off and just yep. work like you used to when you were 19 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and, and being able to pop a 4K YouTube video. Which they're oh. really some of them are quite stunning, and actually see it in full resolution. Yeah, like that's yeah. that's cool. That's the downside. You waste too much time on YouTube with these with these big screens. I get it. Yeah. So yeah, that's basically what I'd uh, you know as far as gear. Other than you know the home part, Apple Watch is new iPhone X. Uh, not interested. No. Sorry. Yeah. No thanks. Don't need to be in that Apple ecosystem. I'm perfectly happy to. Even otherwise, I mean, all the all the new tech coming out, the Alexa, the home automation, I'd be willing to bet people have wasted more time troubleshooting and setting up these home automation things than they've actually saved time using them. I'm well, sure. you know, you call yeah. it waste. I call it a fine afternoon of frustration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but there's some value in those. Like I have a camera in front of my house. If somebody drops a package, I get a push notification. There's some yeah. value there. Sure. But, you know, things like, uh, Alexa, what's the weather today? Oh, how, how many times do I need to, you know, it's not there yet. And, and yeah. Apple Watch, you know. Personally, I'm waiting for the Apple ring because pulling out the phone is, you know, looking at wrist is just way too much work. Just too much work, yeah, no. Yeah. So, Injected uh, directly uh, to my eyeball, please. Right, yeah. Alexa, so all this please dump the hot water on the person standing in front of the door right now. <laughs> right, that would be nice, yeah. But uh, the other thing is that uh, I've had this itch where uh, I, I want to live in an eco-friendly manner, uh, so, you sure. know, drive an electric car, insulate the house, change your lifestyle a little bit. And those sorts of improvements is another thing that I've been geeking out a lot on lately. And that's also very, very cool. Uh, that's a good way to spend money because eventually it'll put more money in your pocket and it's good for the planet. Theoretically, yeah. 
Sahil, yeah. are there a lot of new projects being done with SharePoint, or do you think that um, that it, it's run its course for new projects? Are we are we on Office three sixty five now? I would say Office three sixty five more than SharePoint. Uh, Office three sixty five is becoming their base layer. Like you know, everybody had Windows, yeah. so everyone is going to have Office three sixty five. It's almost getting to that point. And these days, when people write products, or you know, I would it's a good idea if they're making investments, they should think Office three sixty five and not just SharePoint. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, keep it out of the box, um, and you know, have a little bit of dev here and there. But remember that pizza box analogy. Focus on your pizza, and SharePoint is a pizza box, and it's okay to package it there, but don't let that drive your product. It's also where Microsoft's putting their money, right? All of, You don't hear about a new version of on-premise Office, really, although they did get, didn't they announce a SharePoint 2019? They but, did. But all the new features, the delves and the graphs and all that stuff, it's all only in the cloud. I think some of that will come on-premises in a very pared-down manner, True. but it'll still have some connection to Azure AD. And but but again, the reality is that you know when with these new technologies, with uh, you just authenticate with Azure AD and any platform, and you can get Office 365 functionality plus other functionalities. You know, it's just Web APIs registered in the cloud. That's what that's what MS Graph is. Right. So even your you know on-premises ERP system can live side by side with MS Graph, and then you put together say your calendar information with a travel expense app that runs on your phone. Mm. It's very very powerful. Yeah, sure. Does Azure Logic Apps come into play with uh, Microsoft Graph? Yeah, so certainly Logic Apps can call Microsoft Graph, and they have a product called Microsoft Flow, which is. Uh, I don't want to call it a subset of Logic Apps, but it's sort of the same thing, but more of an Office 365 flavor. Uh, but but a Microsoft Flow can call Azure Logic Apps, and Logic Apps can call Flow. So that's there. Uh, and yes, they can call MS Graph, because guess what? Calling MS Graph is a matter of calling a web API. Right. So right. if you can call a REST API, bingo, you're there. The, the challenge, of course, is authentication and things like passing the user identity. So, Carl, if you set up an MS Flow, and you know, three months later, can we query under your credentials? Yeah. These are challenges that needs to be solved, and they're all solvable. But but that's where the complexity comes in. And speaking of complexity, I mean, just microservices in general. When you have all these things that have cause and effects and talk to each other, and very easy to lose control of the process in the big picture. Right. I mean, how easy is it to make a Rube Goldberg machine these days with with all these things? And then when something goes wrong, how do you debug that kind of stuff? This is a very good question. And, you know, the one thing that always wins in the long run is simplicity. Sure. The best code you write is the code you don't have to write. And I think there is a tendency in a lot of us to over-engineer their system. And the the only solution I have to that problem is don't over-engineer it. Don't make a Rube Goldberg. You won't be able to control it. Yeah. Uh, and then and then now you're stuck with another problem in this cloud world, where if you create this machine, it's costing you, and you're afraid of turning it off. Right. Yeah. Because you do pay every month for it, so you kind of know. Yeah. When you're you know the 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 cost of something, it's not just there. Yeah. And, you know, like with the serverless computing and things like Docker, Kubernetes, they are driving the cost down to host quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the cost to dev and maintain is still there. You still right. need developers and, you know, ogres and fairies to take care of this. <laughs> and and that's, that's always, that cost is 
I would argue that cost is even going up because, the, frankly, the skills to find all of that are are hard to find because sure. technology is moving so fast. Mm. But it does so, sound to me like you're describing the modern enterprise developer as someone essentially writing the glue between services where it's needed. Yes, and I think I think one of the challenges is identifying when to back off. Right. As in some of the services, like just when it was a challenge, the on-premises SharePoint as well. I mean, just because they're selling you performance point server, you know, you have to you have to put your mind into it and think, is this a long-term start? You think this product will fly five years from today? Right. And and I think today we are making the same mistake again, where you have amazing technology that people have put together this amazing Rube Goldberg's machine and the, it looks impressive, demos, whatever. Is this something that even if I can code it, I'm a, I'm a consultant, so I go in there, I code it, and I you know get a check and I'm out. Can their dev team support it? And, and in my experience, if their dev team cannot support it, they won't hire me again, even if it was a success in the first go. Right. Yeah, yeah no. So uh, there's a lot of value to simplicity. And and this is the other thing that right now with the, this NPM-based development, Right. You know, I'm surprised that, that there haven't been more attack vectors on this. Like people run sudo npm install on their computers all the time. Right. And let's be honest, all this code on GitHub, when people do a merge and it shows you that wall of ASCII, come on, how many people actually <laughs> read it line by line before doing a merge? Yeah, no, right. they don't. And you're right. It, it's a vulnerability waiting to be taken advantage of, you know. It's scary. It's It's like it reminds me of the early... 2000s when you had bank sites accepting your username password on without SSL. Yeah. It's, it's almost that level of scary. Like it's just too easy to, to take. And there are a lot of well-known packages, but then there, there's a vast majority of not well-known packages. And I, I tell you, even if you pick a well-known package and you do NPM install and just read through that wall of ASCII and there are warnings in it all over the place. Yeah. It says, this has been deprecated. This is a well-known... Sec- they're telling you this, but people just ignore it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They just, they just want to... I don't know if they really know, understand what they're doing and the risks that are involved. they just like, I have to do this step to get on to the work I need to do. Basically, that's it. I mean, people are... You know, they look at the productivity they get out of it and say, I can ship an app with this on every platform in a matter of minutes. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think, uh, you know, one thing that GitHub is doing now is that if they if they see a package.json in your code and if there's a vulnerability in there uh, they they'll flag that repo clearly saying that this uses electron 1.6 with the following vulnerability so please upgrade right. to the latest mm-hmm. version so that's nice yeah well, i think we are working on a problem but you're right it is a a wanna cry waiting to happen to to get Absolutely. an exploit like that that gets propagated into enough uh, in that somehow circumvents an important package and all of a sudden all these apps have vulnerabilities. Absolutely. It makes me wonder if the NSA or some other cyber warrior groups haven't already taken advantage of this, but they'd use that just to plant something quietly. And Oh, uh, I'm sure they have. I'm yeah. sure there are, mm. you know, the most of the uh, the most of the dangerous hacks are the ones we know about years later. Like this whole yeah. meltdown specter thing that happened. Yeah. Dude, it's a shame that this has happened. I mean, imagine if you bought a car that this, they basically then tell you that they have to s- slow down the car right. to 70% its speed. Well, but it's so also it's safe. that, you know, I don't even know if the speed thing's ultimately going to be it, but the fact that it persisted for as long as it did. Which, you know, yeah. there's the, the car equivalent of that is the, the Tata airbag, right? It's like they have shipped millions of cars with an airbag that can kill you. Yeah, and, my and car no, has that. Sure, yeah. there's no easy way to, to get all of that fixed. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm convinced that Meltdown and Spectre haven't been used as an exploit uh, because, it, A, they're bloody hard to use. These are not easy exploits. And um, and we didn't see them in any of, like, the NSA breaches. Like, when they when their toolkits got exposed, that would have been one of the tools, and it wasn't. Sure. But, you know, you know the, the, the thing that scares me about these hacks is, people, you know, and I say, you know, what if you're, what if you live in Finland and your neighbor was North Korea? You'd be a little worried, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I say, well, Finland doesn't have a North Korean neighbor. There is a country in the middle, and that's Russia. Right. Uh, so, they should be worried anyway. But anyway. Yeah. So, the thing is, but on the internet, everybody is everybody's neighbor. Right. You know, Kim Jong-un could be in your computer right now listening to this show, and we we won't know. I I hope he's listening. Anyway, hi. (laughs) Wait a minute, wait a minute. I see his hair. (laughs) Right, yeah. Uh, But but the thing is, uh, you know, when it comes to these hacks, these things like Spectre Meltdown, the thing is 90% of the hacks, the way we approach them today is you see a vulnerability and Microsoft sends out patches and the common hacks get fixed. Yeah, but the high value hacks uh, that that you know somebody like somebody on the payroll of Kim Jong Un would take advantage of protecting a nuclear power plant, hopefully not using NPM packages here. That doesn't get patched this way. That doesn't get noticed this way. Yeah, I, you know we're trusting government to take care of this. Hopefully it all goes well. But it worries me. No, and it should be. And admittedly, we did not hear about meltdown inspector until the solutions were pretty much in the can. Like they exactly. did keep it secret. There were rumors running around, but they basically kept it under control until they were done. And it's like, oh, here, here they are. Yeah, and that's the that's the other thing. Like if there if there's a problem, then you know they don't talk about it until they have a patch. So we know about it, and it's already too late. I don't think my computer is getting hacked. Hopefully, chances are low. But these high value targets, there are fewer of those, and you know the, that's what I'm worried about. And you know, it's just. Uh, it's. It. I think it's. We're, we're depending. We depend so much on technology, and that's not a bad thing. Nope. But the more we depend on technology, and everybody's focus is on features, security be damned. Yeah. You know, it's like buying insurance, and I think we are greatly discounting the value of that insurance security. You know, it's just. Uh, it's scary. Absolutely, and it's just part. Of, it's got to be part of the job that you're paying attention to those things, and that, that it's. You have to put a door with a lock on the house. doesn't matter. You can put all the things you want in the house, but until the door with the lock on it is there, what are you doing? And if you yeah. can just tell Alexa to dump boiling water on the person who's uh, trying to sell you Bibles or something, you can Absolutely. just- Absolutely. Yeah. Or encyclopedias. That's yeah. uh, what they call it. Uh, the new gym that I'm opening, Jehovah's Fitness. Like, have you been to the gym today? Oh, come on now. We don't want to- we don't want to insult Jehovah's Witnesses, do we? No, we don't. Absolutely not. Yeah. No. Yeah, no, no. Uh, they have become, it's sort of funny how they have become the sort of, draw, uh, you know, knock on the door, unwanted guest person. But Yeah, I mean, I, it's, you know, religion is religion. Let's uh, Religion and politics and sports, those three things, no matter what your stance is, you're going to get in a fight. That's what Mondays is for. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Yeah, we, we, we leave it for that. Exactly. Sahil, what are you doing next? What's next for you? Um, I am actually avoiding conferences, uh, huh. you know, like I, I think I've been traveling a lot and I want to, uh, cut down on travel if I can help it. Uh, there's still going to be travel and all that, but I am, uh, probably going to be doing a lot of online presence stuff. Yeah. Uh, and one of my hard buttons lately is, uh, this whole AI thing that Microsoft is doing. Right. 
you know, cog services, BART framework, uh, machine learning. These are incredibly, incredibly impressive. Yeah. You know, I'm just floored by the capabilities that they already have. Yeah. I think they're not marketing it well enough. No, I th- I tend to agree, and I th- and I think it's still too steep a hill to climb for most people. The tooling, the yeah. explanations, compared not to everything yet. else, it's so easy. Yeah, but the cog services is a matter of calling a REST API, right? Yeah, and the, and the thing is, where it gets complicated is, uh, you know, like they have these models, pre-built models, like uh, celebrities. They show a picture of Isaac Newton and tells you it's Isaac Newton. Yeah. But where it gets complicated, where you start building your custom models, for instance, and you know, even that is getting easier now. Yep. Uh, but then things like exporting that model for offline use, and that is a that is a hard challenge because. Right now, that's in a very limited ability. I think it's coming. Yeah. There's just like one GitHub project that allows it's Xcode-based project. Uh, but, you know, like a simple thing, like if you want to write an uh, iOS app on an iPad, which does handwriting recognition, the user experience between issuing a post request to an API to do handwriting recognition versus doing it offline, uh, it's, it's immense. And I think, you know, it's going to improve. But, uh, you know, it's it still has some ways to go. For sure. But, but I just find it amazing that you show it a picture and it tells you that I see in this picture there's a dog sitting on green grass or yeah. there is a train running by a body of water. I'm just, yep. wow, how do you know this? It's pretty cool. Magic. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks a lot for, uh, for dropping in, Sahil. And don't be a stranger. We haven't talked to you in a long time. Long, Thank man. you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Happy to be on. Thank you very much. I follow your every single show still. That's oh, great. Appreciate it. All it's right. good stuff. Thanks again, Sahil. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a